Hey everybody, welcome to the Outpost Community Church Podcast. My name's Addison, I'm on staff here as the youth pastor. We are currently going through the book of Matthew, and so we hope you enjoy listening and have a wonderful week of worship. can have a seat. Grab your chair. Uh, we're going to get started uh, by introducing you guys to somebody. And this is my friends Bob and Sue. Can you say hello? Hi, Bob. All right. Bob and Sue are members here at Outpost. And they will be beginning their uh, annual, at this point it's annual, right? Annual pilgrimage to South Africa. And South Africa is celebrating a lot right now. You guys know why? Because they just won the Rugby World Cup. And nobody really cares in Cody, so we're moving on. Um, what really matters is that Bob and Sue are going to be going down there. Their son uh, runs, operates an orphanage down there. And they go down every year for a series of months. It's going to be about six months, four months. They're going to be down there and serving and working. So I'm just going to pray for them as we send them out to go do this. They're going to leave this week. So if you think about Bob and Sue, you think about South Africa, you could be praying for them, praying for the kids that they care for, praying for that ministry. And I pray they get back safe. Amen? All right. Well, Lord, thank you so much for Bob and Sue and how they've grown to be uh, meaningful people for us here at Outpost. And as members of this body, we send them. As members of Ephesus sent Paul back to Jerusalem, we send them back to South Africa. They are, this is both a joy and both a, uh, a just tough, but they're following your leading. And as they go, God, I pray you equip them, that you keep them safe, that you would guide them. Um, but get, but in, in any and every circumstance, I pray they'd be faithful and they would trust you. And that the peace that surpasses all understanding would guard their heart and their mind in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Yeah. All right. Grab your Bible. Go to Matthew 10. You guys stop that yelling, okay? You'll have your time when we're all done. It's my time now. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hey, grab your Bible. Go to Matthew chapter 10. We've made it to 10. We've made it to chapter 10. I know. It's crazy. Uh, and once you get there, you're going to be at verse 1. Why don't you stand up with me, and we're going to read the word of the Lord together. All right, this is the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 10, starting verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, 
Find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, Father, uh, we're really thankful for your word. We're thankful that for uh, thousands of years you preserved it from the days of Moses through the days of Jesus all the way to today. We have this word. Thank you, God, that people translated it in English. Thank you for the men who died in England in the 1500s for translating it so that peasants could understand it. Thank you, God, for uh, those who translate it into this version we just read. Thank you, God, that even though we're reading it in a different language than what it was originally written in, you still are transforming our lives. Praise God. You are truly amazing. So we pray you receive our worship this morning. As we uh, open this word and we learn, God, I pray you would transform our hearts and our minds. I pray that we would become like Bob and Sue, willing to open up our hands and hearts to go where you call us to go. If that's to our neighbor or if it's to the ends of the earth, God, your will be done. Amen. All right, guys, uh, anybody in here know how to juggle? Anybody know how to juggle three balls? Raise your hand confidently. Okay, great. I love it. Um, anybody in here, you would consider self, I'm looking for like a student. Where are my high school students? Uh, yeah, nobody wants to admit they because they're like, I don't trust you. You're going to make me come up there. And you're right. You should not trust me. All right. Hey, uh, high school boys, any high school boys in the room? Come on, raise your hand. Be confident. They're like, no way. Okay, if I explain to you how to juggle these, do you think you'd be able to do it? Elijah, you're giving me some nods. Come on up. Come on down. Can you guys give him a round of applause? Oh, man. I had a feeling this was going to happen. They stopped clapping before you got here, so this is just awkward now. All right. Everybody say hello. Okay. Here's what's going to happen. We'll do it down here. Okay, because then if you mess this up, we can chase the balls. It's very simple, okay? Very, very simple. Come on over here. Let's get you in the middle. I want everybody able to see you. So it's three balls, okay? All you have to do is you've got to toss one up into the air. While it's in the air, you've got to toss another one in the air, okay? When that one's coming down, you've got to catch it, okay? And then you've got to toss up the other one in your hand before this one comes down and you catch that one. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, now here's the thing. It's all about timing. You've got to throw them at the right time. It's also about rhythm, so once you start throwing them, all right, you got to get into a rhythm with them, all right? You got rhythm? Okay, I like it. Um, <laughs> hey, last thing, it's also about hand-eye coordination, okay? That means that your eyes are going to have to move fast and your hands are going to have to keep up and catch them. You, do you understand how it works? Yes. You do? Yes. Okay, great. Here you go. Take those balls. Let's, let's see you do this. Oh, okay, okay. Not bad. Let's give you a second chance. Okay. How do you guys think he's doing? No, that's not true. He's not doing good at all. Have you seen somebody juggle? Okay. Let's do something a little bit different. Uh, how about with two balls? Can you do two? You can? Okay. But it's only with one hand. You can do two with one hand? Okay. How does it work? Tell me how it works. Yes. Okay. All right. You explain it to me. Let's see if you can do it now. Oh, come on. Come on. Oh, hey, give him a round of applause. Love it. Good job, good job, good job. All right. Hey, Ingrid, I just want you to toss it up and catch it. Could you do that? Yeah, I know. That's what I thought. Uh, we were joking about that. Okay, here's what I want to tell you. Uh, 
I'm, it's my turn? Oh, it's important that you guys see this. You're right. I need to show you guys uh, that I don't really know how to do this either. So let's see if I can do it. You ready? Man, now I'm nervous. Okay, hold on, hold on. Give me a second. One more time. I know. Oh! I quit right then because I could feel it getting away from me. All right, here's what I want to tell you, okay? There's something called confirmation bias, and confirmation bias is simply this. It's this idea that if I were to teach you something or tell you something or show you something, because you can intellectually understand what I'm saying, because you can intellectually uh, see what I'm saying, you, every single one of you will have an idea in your brain that, oh, I can do that, or I understand that. If I teach you something you're, and you understand what I say, you go, oh, I understand what that means, but the reality is you don't know what it means until you actually put it into practice. Anybody know this? Anybody ever fallen to your confirmation bias and got embarrassed? You saw something, you understood something, you go, oh, I understand how that works, and then you go to do it, and actually you're not very good at it, okay? It's like every dad talking to their children. Dad, I can do it. All right, here we go, you know? They drive the lawnmower straight into the house, Okay? Uh, that's confirmation bias. And it doesn't just apply to children, it applies to all of us. Now, why do I tell you about that? Why do we go through that? Okay? I could explain to him how it works, but I could barely do it myself. You, many of us in this room have been studying and learning the Bible and listening to the words of Jesus, listening to pastors teach us for decades. But the reality is you don't even know it. And the, the reason is, is because you've never put it to practice. It is possible to attend a church, to read your Bible, and learn so many unique and beautiful things that come from this Bible. But if you never put it into practice, do you really know it? Think about this. We, I was just talking about this with one of our coaches. And uh, we we're talking about, anybody ever watched the celebrity first pitch at a baseball game? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever watch that and go, if I got selected to throw the first pitch at the baseball game... I'm going to, it's going over the plate. Anybody feel that way? Anybody? Yeah. I bet you every person who's done the first pitch thought the same thing, right? And they get up there and they're, whoa, and it's like it hits the dugout, right? Just crazy. It's just confirmation bias. Listen, guys, today what we're talking about is Jesus is, he's been teaching, he's been teaching us, he's been teaching his disciples, but today it's time for them to put one foot in front of the other and go and live out what Jesus has been teaching them. Now, that's a scary thing. It's a scary moment. It's difficult. It's like getting up on a, on a stage in front of a group of people and juggling. It makes you nervous. That's why a lot of you go, I could juggle. And you, when you realize that I might call you up, you went, actually, I don't even know why I'm here. <laughs> right? It's a scary thing to put one foot in front of the other. It's scary to actually get on the mound and throw the ball. It's scary to get in the car and put it in drive for the first time. But the reality is you don't understand how it really works and how the Bible really works until you see it in action. And the problem is there's a lot of people in and around us who don't really know the way of Jesus, not because they didn't hear it, because they never saw it in us. So today's really, really important, super important. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at man, mission, and means, all right? We're going to look at the 12 disciples who are the men. As we talk about man, mission, and means, when I was going to plant a church, they always, the, the phrase that's used a lot is, do we have the right man, do we have the right mission, do we have the right means? And this passage is going to show us that in a really unique way. So 
I'm going to reread verses 1 through 4 because I know how fast I forget things, and you might forget as well. Let's set the context. These are the 12. And he said to them, uh, and he called to him his 12 disciples, which reminds you of what, guys? 12 disciples, 12 tribes, right? Uh, Matthew is written to who? Jewish Christians, right? That's right. Okay, you guys, you guys know this. We've been talking about it. Matthew is written to Jewish Christians. Jesus is a Jew. He selects for himself how many disciples? Okay, and then we're going to read it in another uh, gospel that he sends them out two by two. Let me see if you can figure out uh, what the pairing looks like. What, what were the pairs? Matthew actually shows it. Okay, so this is what he says. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Do you see how the pairings are right there? It's this person and that person, they went. This person and that person, they went. You guys see that? Fun fact, you learned it. That's not going to change your life. All right, I'm just up here just teaching you stuff. All right, so the first thing I want you to notice about this is this. Jesus called these 12 students to himself. Calling is a really important part of properly understanding what it means to apprentice with Jesus and how apprenticing with Jesus really begins. Your following of Jesus does not begin with you. It begins with God. Did you know this? It begins with God calling us, not us, or the disciples attending synagogue every Saturday or Friday. It doesn't begin with them finding enlightenment or, or working out really hard and just getting noticed. The, the call is from God towards these men. Now, that sometimes grinds against us a little bit, right? Because we're Western thinkers. We grew up in a Western culture. We love autonomy. We love individuality. And we like to be able to say, I decided to do this thing. But your Bible actually teaches something that's a little bit more like Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Y'all ready for this? And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Hey, guys, the first thing I want to emphasize, and look, there's a road we can go down, and I'm not taking it with you right now, but the first thing I want to emphasize is this. The calling begins with God. And if God calls you it started with him, not with you. But you know what's great about that? It means that he chose you. He chose you. Anybody like getting chosen? All right? Yeah? Anybody play on the playground? I don't even know what they do in the playground anymore. Anybody get picked on the playground? Who it's, it stinks when you don't get chosen, right? We got 12 of us. We're playing five-on-five basketball. Oh, no. Somebody's going to get their feelings hurt. But you got chosen. All right, let's keep going. Second, I want to emphasize that these guys are normal guys. They are normal Normal, normal, okay? These guys are fishermen, they're brothers, they're accountants, they're merchants. These are dudes that when you're going down the street, you don't notice them. They're normal. They have normal type reactions. Some of them are very zealous and passionate. Some of them are kind of calloused. Some of them are nominal. Some of them are doubtful. Some of them uh, become very conflicted. Some of them are rich. Some of them are very poor. The reality is, guys, they're just normal dudes. We don't get a lot in the New Testament about them, but one thing that we know is they're just average guys, just like us. Average dudes just like us. So there's nothing you're going to find in your Bible that's going to show that they are extraordinary men. But one thing we do notice is they have an extraordinary leader. 
right? Named Jesus. Same Jesus that is our extraordinary leader. Okay, now this leads to the last uh, thing I want to emphasize in this first part. It's the third thing, and it's this. Though these guys are extraordinary men, Jesus gives them extraordinary authority. What does he give them authority to do, guys? Man, yeah, I just noticed which one is more like weird for you. Like some of you are like cast out demons, heal people, raise the dead, right? Anybody, uh, is that like extraordinary to you? Anybody? Yeah, and he gives them authority to do this. Now, what I want to emphasize on this is this. He gives them this authority. They don't work out and figure out and, you know, train into this ability. Do you understand? There's a difference between ability and authority. He gives them this authority. Now, how does Jesus give them this authority? How can Jesus give them this authority? He can give them this authority because Jesus has the authority to do it. Do you understand? This says a lot about their leader, Jesus. He has the authority because Jesus is what? Jesus is God. He's not just some man. He's God. And he has the authority to give them authority. And so he gives them authority to do this. So what do we have? We have is this, okay? Uh, or what, what does this kind of reveal? Why does, let me ask this question. Why does Jesus give them this authority? And the reason comes from our passage last week. Last week, Jesus, we talked about how this just, this gut ache, because he looked out and he saw that there's so many people in the world, and they're like a sheep without a shepherd. They're, they're helpless. They're harassed. They do not know the truth, and they need help. And Jesus says what? Pray to the Lord of the harvest that the Lord of the harvest will do what, guys? That he would send workers into the harvest. And so in this passage, Jesus answers that prayer. All right, I'm sending you 12 workers into the harvest, and they have authority under my authority to do certain things. So Jesus answered that prayer. What does that have to do with us? Why does it matter? Well, here's the first thing. So number one, we talked about Jesus' call, and that he calls, all right? So this is what I want to tell you. Number one, don't resist the call of God on your life. Now, I know some of you guys are thinking, like, how do I know if I'm called? How do I know if my neighbor is called? But here, that's, the, the answer can sometimes be a little too much for you, but let me just give you another question back, okay? If Jesus were to call you right now, what would your answer be? If Jesus were to call you right now, friend, what would your answer be? If your answer is yes, then I want to tell you right now, yes, he's calling you. He is absolutely calling you right now. He wants you. Now, that is both applied to you guys who are not Christians in this room. You have not surrendered your life to Jesus. He's not the authority of your life. I want to tell you right now, if that authority, Jesus, who you probably have heard about, it's probably why you're here. He's this loving God-man who laid his life down on a cross so that we might be saved. To take all the sin and things that you regret in your life on himself. If that man is calling you and says, hey, come follow me, are you going to say yes? What would you say? If you say yes, I want to tell you right now, he is calling you, and you can say yes. You can say yes. You guys who are Christians in this room, if God's calling you, man, to reach out to your neighbor, he's calling you to share the gospel with others, hey, what would your answer be? Your answer going to be Yes. I'm going to tell you right now, I mean, he's, he's probably calling you to do that, all right? Do not resist the call of God. Hey, number two, why does this matter to us, guys? Uh, anybody in here feel like you don't quite know enough to go about being 
a laborer in the harvest. Anybody feel that way? Anybody feel a little insecure about it? Maybe you don't know enough. Maybe you're just too normal. Maybe uh, you're scared of what they're going to say. I don't know if I have the answer. Anybody ever felt that way? Okay, okay. Honesty would be everybody raising their hand, okay? All right, because honestly, we've all felt that way, but here's what I want you to know from this passage. He's calling average dudes. He did not hold like a national Israeli discipleship combine. All right, let's see who could share the gospel in 60 seconds. Let's go. What's your vertical? He didn't test them out that way, guys. Jesus went through and chose and pulled people out of just the most average, normal, country bumpkin professions and said, I want to change the world through you. And so it's extremely important, guys, that you understand that God could use you. Christians, do you hear me? Romans chapter 12 says this, because you're like, man, but I'm not you, Greg. I can't do that. I'm not like so-and-so or that woman I met or who's discipling me. Listen, Romans 12, 4 through 6. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Praise God. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. Hey, guys, I'm gifted in certain ways. And get out my way, let me use it. But some of you, you are gifted in a specific way, and God called you. And God's not surprised by, by who you are. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he's given you, if he's given you the Holy Spirit, he's given spiritual gifts. Now, it may not be to raise dead, to heal the sick, right, to do those things. But he's given you a gift, and that gift matters in the context of this whole body. We need you to be you. And when you're not you, something's missing. Do you understand? There's, like, listen, the culture's trying to tell you you're significant by making much of your individuality. We're trying to show you you're significant because you as an individual fit into the community of faith in a way that makes everything better. That's so much better than the Western ideology. Like you matter. Okay? So listen, get it out of your head that you're too normal. Yes, some of you are very boring. But there's something about your boredom, right, that God wants to use to glorify his kingdom. And you just got to decide, is he calling me? The answer is yes. Let's go. Use it. And here's the third thing. Do we have the same authority that the disciples experienced? Probably not. That's my answer. Probably not. Do we have the same authority as the apostles? Probably not. Now, why do I say not? Because you're not the apostles. The apostles were a, a foundational group of the church who brought us the word of God and spread out the, the, the set the foundation for the church, specifically talking contextually, okay? Now, I say probably because this authority to be able to heal and raise from the dead, uh, this ability to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, listen, you have the authority to proclaim the gospel. Uh, whether or not God wants to give you authority to be able to heal and do those things, it's up to God. And our God is God. And if he decides he wants to use some of you in that way, praise be to God. But you need to know it's not an ability. So if you watch on TV and you see some guy who says, I am a healer, you go, you are an idiot. And you turn it off. If somebody comes to Cody, you drive that man back out of this town. Unless God has given him that gift, but it's a gift of healing, and God can do it. Do you understand me? God is God. He can do it. It's not bound by time. So what, are the, what do we need to know from this first section okay, about man? The 12 apostles are regular guys with an extraordinary teacher who has given them extraordinary gifts just like us. Anybody encouraged by that? I'm so encouraged by that. Because if I had not heard that when I was younger, listen, students, I would have, 
I would have became an adult who just never took chances with the Lord. But because some people came in my life and said, God's given you an ability and you need to use it, I took some risks, took some chances in faith with the Lord. And I don't regret it. And I don't want you to live with any regrets. Take some chances. Live in faith. Let's go. All right? Let's talk about mission. So that's the man. And who's the man? Who's the woman? We are. Come on, guys. Jump in with me. Who's the man? We are. All right, great. <laughs> that's very weird. I'm going to play that one song. I'm the man. I'm the man. Okay, anyways, that's not what I'm saying. It's not about you, but you are the man for the mission. You are who we've been praying for last week. That God would send out workers. We're talking about you. Now, what's the mission? All right. Well, in the mission, uh, there's a people that we are sent to. If you're a Christian in this room, all right, you are a missionary. If you don't know Jesus in the room, you are our mission, and we're so glad you're here. We're so glad that you're here, but so are our neighborhoods. But look at verse 5, what he says. Then the 12, Jesus sent out and struck them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus doesn't send them to the Gentiles, and he doesn't send them to the Samaritans. Is it because... Jesus doesn't care about the Gentiles and Samaritans? No. The first person that Jesus reveals himself to is a Samaritan woman. Okay? Jesus eventually raises up another apostle. His name starts with P, rhymes with all. Anybody know? And who does he send him to? The Gentiles. Okay, so God cares about the Samaritans and the Gentiles. In fact, Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But he says, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek or to the rest of the world. Okay? So why the Jew first? Anybody know? Why is Israel so important back then? And why is Israel so important right now? This is relevant, isn't it? Okay, this is relevant. You guys need to understand this, okay? Uh, as an Americans, as people, as human beings, creating the image of God, you understand. The Jews are God's covenant people. Did you know this? The one and only true God of the universe chose one group of people. And it started with a man named Abraham 4,000 years ago. This is how committed he is to them. 4,000 years ago. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. Look at this. I think it'll be on the screen. It says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, his name gets changed to Abraham, if you didn't know, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That might be the most important verses of the Bible for all of history. So much of what we understand in this world today stems from this. Now, if you read Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, and Genesis 17, you're going to see that God calls Abraham and his family, that he covenants with them, and he seals them as his people with an everlasting covenant. How long is everlasting? Okay, you can't use the word in the definition, okay? Forever, okay? It's forever. So why is it the Jew first? Well, listen to what Paul says in Romans 9. Romans 9, verse 4, he says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So the Israel that we 
read about, and the Israel that we see on television, these are God's ethnic covenant people. They are important to the Lord. Now, let's clarify something. Does that mean they can do no wrong? Absolutely not. Does it mean they cannot be criticized? Does it mean because ethnically they're Jews, they're going to heaven? Hey, no. They have one major fault against them, one great fault against them. And Paul, in that Romans 9 section, says it right before he says the 4 through 5. He says this, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. This is Paul. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish, anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. What is Paul saying? He's saying, hey, the, my people, the Jews, have rejected the Messiah that God sent us. And they are cut off from God because of that rejection. And he goes, I wish I was cut off so they might know that Jesus really is who he says he is. And he's broken, not because they're going to just go to heaven anyways. He's broken, guys, because he knows what's going to happen. It means that they are not going to be accepted. They're going to face judgment regardless of their ethnicity because they did not accept Jesus. Do you understand this? Jews and Gentiles. You, me, and the Jews, all of us, their salvation is only by one name. And who is it? It's Jesus. The Jews are not going to be saved by morality, and neither are your friends. It's by Jesus and Jesus alone that we find our salvation. But listen, so even though that the Jews rejected Jesus, Paul shares in Romans 11, 1 through 5, that God is going to keep a remnant. Do you know this? Have you noticed that they keep sticking around? Have you guys seen that T-shirt? They sell it in Jerusalem. I saw this T-shirt. Uh, it's uh, all the nations who've tried to annihilate the Jews, right? And it says, who still exists on both sides? And the Jews, check, still exist throughout all these centuries. All these empires have tried to destroy them. And over here, none of those empires exist anymore. And at the bottom it says, be careful who you mess with, <laughs> right? That's like, hey, that's a good shirt. I don't know if I'm going to spend 15 bucks on it. But the reality is because it's, it's Genesis chapter 12. Those who bless you, I will bless. But those who curse you, I will curse. Even if Israel deserves this butt kicking. Because they're acting fools and they rejected the Messiah. But look at Romans chapter 11. One day we'll teach through Romans. It's beautiful. It says this in verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. That's Paul. He's saying, listen, I accepted Jesus and I'm a Jew. I'm saved, I'm rescued, I'm redeemed. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Because Israel is acting a fool, this is what he says. Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. Elijah is basically saying, God, these people are crazy. Why are you staying with them? And this is what God says, but... What is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, Paul says, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. That was true in, in Paul's day. That's true today, guys. That's true today. So if the question is, why does Israel matter? It's because, Jesus, or because God says so. Look at verse 5. Now, here's the thing. In World War II area, Christians got a little bit arrogant. So the Christians... 
in Germany started to kind of, they joined in and attacking the Israelites and the Jews because they go, oh, you killed the Messiah. You rejected him, right? And so they bought into this lie and decided that if you don't believe me, you should go read the history in Germany of how the church, the church jumped in on this. But Paul answers in Romans eleven twenty five 25, it says, hey, don't you get arrogant thinking you're better than the Jews. He says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. He's saying right now there's a hardening on Israel. And that's true today. Until the world gets to hear the gospel. But one day God will bring revival to Israel. And that day may be soon. Very soon. Okay. Again, we'll also teach First Thess, Second Thess, and Revelations one day. But we got to keep moving. Here's the point. The main point is this. The mission is for everyone. Absolutely everyone. I gave you context because you have something going on with Israel in your life right now on the news. But the reality is the mission is for everyone. So if you're asking yourself, who am I supposed to go and share this gospel with? Who am I supposed to go and serve and bring healing to? Who? The answer is everyone. Absolutely everyone. All right. Now, what are the apostles supposed to do? Verse 7, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Simply put, what, is, what are we supposed to do in this mission? We're supposed to proclaim and produce. Everybody say, proclaim, proclaim. Produce. produce. That's what you're supposed to do. Proclaim and produce. Now, I want you to think about this. We're also uh, heading into 2024, which is about to get really exciting. It's about to be culturally wild out there, right? Because what's happening in 2024 that's really important for us? An election. Now, here's the thing about I've just lived long enough to see several of these that I'm starting to see. They go through the same cycle over and over again. It's a bunch of politicians, and they're going to tell us what they're going to do. Am I right? They're going to proclaim what they're going to do. How has that gone so far? Okay? Politicians go, man, this, this is all that I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it for you because I care about American people. My dad was a you know, police officer, got shot in the face, and I'm riding off of his death so that I could be leading you. Right? That was probably really offensive, but the reality is that's what these politicians do. And so they say, here's what we're going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. Now, the question always is this. Will they actually be elected, number one? And number two, will they actually do what they're going to say? Or are they doing what, they're going to, what they said they'd do? Now, I want you to imagine for a second that one of these politicians is coming to the town, and you go, hey, hey, Mr. Politician, how exactly are you going to eliminate this incredible debt that we've got? And that politician steps down, or one of his representatives steps down, and raises a man from the dead. Now, there's not a direct connection between raising somebody from the dead and being able to handle national debt. But in that moment, if you saw something like that, you go, okay, something different is happening here, wouldn't you? What would your reaction be? Wow. All right, I'm going to pay attention to this candidate because that right there is impossible. So what is happening here is this is the importance of miracles. This is the importance of the authority that God has given to them. Because the authority that God has given to these apostles to heal and do this affirms that what they're saying is true. And what are they proclaiming? That the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And guys, it's been at hand for 2,000 years. Now, don't go to sleep on it. Jesus is very clear. We do not fall asleep. Be ready. Stand ready. It's the job of the church to continue to proclaim and continue to produce. 
but the miracles. We're called to go and proclaim the good news of the gospel, and we're called to produce actions that are in line with and support that gospel. Do you understand? Now, you guys go, man, it'd be really great if God healed somebody, if, if God would raise Ashley up out of her wheelchair in this room right now, then I would believe, then I would believe. And listen, maybe that's true. Maybe, maybe that is the case for you. But the reality is, we're going to see here in this passage, uh, that many people even then still do not believe. Don't even invite these guys into their house. Can you imagine? Don't even invite them into their house. But what does this mean for us, guys? It means that as Jesus' disciples, one thing that we... Um, we have not just been blessed, we've been called to be a blessing. We are not just blessed, we're called to be a blessing. You are given the gospel and it transform your life. You must freely give that gospel to others as well. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Anybody know this? It says this, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. And then he says, I appeal to you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So what are we, guys? Starts with an A. We're ambassadors. We're ambassadors of this kingdom. We are citizens with the saints. We are kingdom ambassadors. And we are also called to proclaim and to produce. Okay? Now, some of you may say, well, I don't really uh, have the authority to do this. You could say the authority that you have, uh, you know the message of the gospel, but if you don't proclaim and produce it... Uh, Here's what I'm trying to say. Greg's trying to get his mind wrapped around what I'm trying to read right here. Let me pause for a second and read it to myself and then tell you because you're like, what is he saying? I'm not having a migraine. I'm fine. Listen, you can say with authority that you know the message of the gospel, but if you don't proclaim and produce it, then others will know that it has no real authority in your life, meaning you don't really know it. Remember the tennis balls? It's one thing that you say, I am saved. I've been blessed with the gospel. I know what it says. It's a whole other thing to go out and tell others about it and then live in accordance with it. And we all need to pray and consider, am I living a life in accordance with the gospel? That free gift that God was giving me, do I hold it back from my neighbor, from my family, from my children, from my spouse? Do I hold it back from myself? Or do I live and I walk according to it? Okay? If you don't, here's the thing I want to tell you guys. It's because Jesus has no real authority in your life. And I want to tell you something. If that's been going on for a while, you should consider, maybe you're not even a Christian. Maybe you're just somebody who learned a lot of things about this man named Christ, but he's just really not your Christ. Do you understand? There's a reason why the church is just such a, like, unimportant part of our culture. It's because there's a lot of people saying things not really doing anything about it. But not us, right? Because we know God's called us and we're ambassadors and we're going to live for him and we're going to proclaim, we're going to produce. Now, the next question I want to answer is getting to the means. The means, okay? And so the means is like right here, Jesus is going to talk specifically about money, but the reality is he's talking to a heart issue. So how are the apostles supposed to go about the mission? 
At the end of verse 8, he says, you receive without paying, give without pay. Verse 9, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. So the end of verse 8 is really important on multiple levels. You guys have received the gospel of the kingdom as a gift. Jesus gave it to you. He called you. He brought it to you. You didn't pay for it. You didn't buy it. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for the gospel. It was given to you as a gift. So therefore, you should do what with it? Give it to other people. The great thing about the gospel is you can give it to somebody and you have no less. And you can give it to another and you have no less. In fact, the more you give it, the more you find you have more of it. That's the gospel. So in one sense, we're called to give it. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each of you has received a gift. Is the gospel a gift, guys? It's probably the greatest gift I've ever gotten. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So number one, it's a gift. Number two, use it to serve others. Second thing about verse eight is it makes it clear that we are not supposed to charge people for the healing or for the gospel. Listen, I've got some really good news for you guys. Really good. Uh, If you go out there and you put a 20 in that box, I'm going to tell you about it. Okay, anybody doing that? Listen, if you sin in 1999, we will send you some oil and give you some healing. That's insane. If you have oil that heals people, don't be charging people for it. Give it to people. Give it away. Give it away. And this is what he's saying. He's listen, you've received without paying, give it to people. Don't charge people for it. That's insane. Now, <clears throat> does that mean, what does that have to do with like church staff and all that? You're like, Greg, you're up there. Don't you like live off of these? Yes, but I never go, hey, uh, <clears throat> let's uh, first everybody go, go pay. And everybody who pays, come back in. And then I'm going to teach you what this Bible says. But until you guys pay, we're out. Have I ever done that? No. And here's the thing. Everything that's given, it's not for Greg. I don't get a cut. I don't get a percentage. Right? I'm giving it to you, and I'm sharing with you, and I'm trusting that the Lord will provide for the needs that I have. Every single one of you, whether you're a staff member at a church or a missionary, you all go through the same thing. Now, it's a little different in our culture because most of you guys are not thinking about your food, shelter, and clothing as much as a first century person was. Can we agree? You're not thinking about it as much as they were. For you guys, it's like, oh, man, we're out of maple syrup. I'm going to drive up to Albertsons, get some maple syrup for my 15 pancakes I'm about to eat. Right? Now, I'm not trying to make fun of us, but the reality is we just, it's, it's a lot different. So for these apostles, they're going out, and they're leaving, and he's saying, hey, the clothes you got on and the things that you're wearing, I want you to just take off. Basically, Jesus is saying to them, you don't have time to wait and go get all that stuff. Just go, and trust me, you'll have what you need. Do you understand? Now, for you guys, here's where it really matters. What matters for us is this, that we're sometimes just never satisfied with the food, shelter, and clothing that we already have. We're not satisfied with the food, shelter, and clothing we already have. And sometimes living for Jesus means that we have to change the quality of food, children, clothing that we have. And Jesus is saying, if that's getting in the way of you serving Jesus, now we have a real problem. If you're going, hey, living generously for the kingdom of God means that I'm not going to be able to live in that house. I have to stay in this one. Then you go, all right, I'll trust the Lord. It'll be okay. If it means that I can't buy those shoes or I can't eat that uh, kind of food or whatever the case may be, you say, okay, that's fine. I want to live first for the kingdom of God. Do anybody know what I'm talking about? That sense? Everything around you, like everything, guys, have you noticed? Everything around us is all about getting us to buy the next thing. Like we're heading into the season where like Black Friday has turned into a massive 
crazy. It was already insane when you went to Walmart and people were like literally dying in the aisles to get DVDs. But now it's like it's like a month-long celebration. And we get excited about it. And so does corporate America. And that's why they plague you with ads constantly. And so a gospel is being shared with you is that if you have this, you'll be okay. And Jesus is saying, no, you have the greatest gift. You're going to be okay. I'll give you what you need. And so this passage right here may not apply to us in the sense that Jesus right now is asking you to go to some place, and he's saying, hey, what you got on right now? Go. And you go, I don't even know where I'm going to sleep tonight. I don't even know what I'm going to eat tonight. Most of you don't face that. I don't face that. Now, and here's the other thing I want to say is only a few of us in the room get really excited about that. Anybody like that with me? Like, I'm that guy. You're like, I don't even know what we're going to eat. I don't know where we're going to sleep. And I'm like, bro, sign me up. We're going with Jesus? Like, let's do this thing. And some of you guys are like, hold on a second. Where are we going? How long are we going to be there? Okay, how much is the food? Right, that whole thing. Anybody that way, the planner? Anybody like Bonnie? All right, I love it. But this is for both of us. There is, it's not wise to take off and go do something without thinking about it. But it's equally, if not more unwise, to disobey the Lord. And sometimes God calls you to do something that looks absolutely crazy and nonsensical to your friends who are in this culture. But the reality is obedience to the Lord is everything. Faithfulness is faithfulness. All right. Where are we at? Let's keep going. Basically what Jesus has asked them to do, he's been teaching them, teaching them, teaching them, and now he's t- calling them to put into practice what he's taught them. Do you guys remember Matthew chapter 6 when he talked about the anxious heart? Right? Anxious heart. In Matthew 6, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. All these things are food, shelter, and clothing. And what he tells them basically is this in, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Is that true? Absolutely, guys. I think we tend to forget. It's about more than our, where we live, what we wear, and what we eat. But if those things are holding you back from being faithful to the kingdom of God, you are not faithful, and you need to repent, and you need to surrender those things to the Lord. Does that mean that God doesn't want you to eat nice food or go on a great vacation? It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with your heart. Are you willing to go, I will go wherever you ask me to go, Lord. I'll share with whoever you want me to share with. That's the major problem. All right. This is where, like, I always get tempted to, like, get pulled off sides and get off the message. I would never be a good celebrity pastor because I say things that get me in trouble all the time. Here's, look at me. Most of, listen, I'm looking at you, and I'm just going to trust that God's doing something in your heart. But I want you to hear me. If you're here just because it's a tradition and this is what you do, great. I'm glad you're here. I hope you got some blessing out of this. But it would bless everybody around you if just for a day you would consider everything in your life as the Lord's. And you would open up your hands with everything in your life just for a day. It's all right, God, I trust you. And you can have it all. If you want it all, Lord, it's yours. Burn it all up. But regardless, I'm going to choose you. This is not a self-help game we're playing in here. This is a decision to follow the real God who exists right now in this room and out there. He's at your neighbor's house. He's omnipresent. He still sees them with that gut-wrenching pain and going, God, I put more laborers into the harvest. So, Alpos, the best thing I could do to serve you and to serve myself is to not act like this is a good thing to talk about, but to go, 
it's a good thing to walk about. All right, God, is there anything in me and Bonnie's life that I'm holding on to that I just need to let go of? Is it my me time? Is it television? Is it food? Is it a vacation? Is it a car? Is it gas? Is it, like, what, what, are the, what are the things holding me back from really following you, Lord? Is there somebody in my neighborhood that I'm like unwilling to tell them about your gospel even though other people came to me and freely told me about it and didn't worry about my reaction or my feelings? They told me and gave me that grace. Is there anybody I'm not willing to go talk to because I'm nervous about how they might respond or that they might ask a question I don't know the answer to? God, I'm just going to give you that. And I'm just going to say, you know what? I'm going to trust that you're going to give me the things I need in the moment at that time. If half of you, this half of you over here, look at me, this half, forget that half. If they just went out and they said, you know what? That was great, but let's just go to Bubba's and eat some food. But you, this half over here, and you just said, you know what? I think I'm going to go to high school this week. And I'm just going to act like Jesus got me around every corner. And I'm just going to live for him. And when I don't know what I'm talking about, I go, guys, I don't even know what I'm talking about. But I know Jesus does, and I'd love to introduce you to Jesus. Man, I, I, don't, I only have a certain amount of money, and I see this friend over here. He doesn't have money for lunch. And if I buy him lunch, it means I'm not going to be able to eat what I want. So you know what? I'm just going to, hey, here's something. I want to do this. Let's go eat some lunch together. Let's split a sandwich. You just go, you know, I'm just looking for you, Lord, wherever you are. If you guys do this, this whole town would be absolutely flipped upside down. Just you. Forget them. You. Just you. And imagine if all of you guys just would go, man, you know what, Lord, it's yours. That's what Jesus is doing, and he's kicking them out the nest and saying, all right, you've heard me talk for a while. Go. It's time for you to do something. And I feel like every week that's what I do. And listen, I know. I'm young. I'm trying to figure this out myself, and I make mistakes, and you guys make mistakes. But I try to teach in a way where I'm always getting my foot up in the air and kicking you in the back and say, all right, now go do it. Go try it out. Stop telling everybody you know the gospel and go live it. Stop telling everybody you know how to juggle. You can't juggle your own life. Let's just go give it to Jesus. See what happens, man. Let's just see what happens. Anybody with me? All right, let's wrap this up and let's go do it, man. All right, so here's the things we've learned so far. Oh, I, I just totally missed this section, and this is really important. <laughs> Before we go do this, <laughs> all right, before we like huddle up and yell and get out the door, hey, look at verse 25. This is just so important. Oh, no, not verse 25. I'm sorry. Where am I? Here we go. 11 through 15. This is important, guys, because it's not just about us going. It's also about us receiving others. Verse 11. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who's worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, we're going to talk about what that means. Let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake, uh, shake off the dust from your feet. And when you leave that house or town, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So that's a big deal, the land of judgment. That's talking about the day of the Lord, the day that God's going to come and judge everybody and everything. And that day is coming. And it could be soon. So, and if you know anything about Sodom and Gomorrah, go, if you don't, go look it up. If you know, then you know. It's a big deal. So what's happening here? So they're going to go into these houses. They're going to just imagine these guys are out. They're doing their ministry, blah, blah, blah. And they have no food. they got no place to live. they got limited clothes. They need somebody to take care of them, right? And so he's saying when you come into these towns and you come into these houses, if it's a worthy house, let your peace be upon it. What does it mean to be worthy? It answers in verse 14. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words. A worthy house is somebody who's going to, hey, come to my house. Hey, come sit at my table. And tell me more about this kingdom, because I just saw you raise my neighbor from the grave, and I'd like to know what you're talking about, right? So come sit at my house, stay with me. 
But if you come into a town and they're going like, listen, you can't stay in my house. Uh, I got too much going on. Yeah, I know. I, you totally raised my cousin from the grave. That was crazy. But uh, I ain't got time for you. God's saying, what, what a crazy person. Judgment on them. But here's what I really want to kind of focus on. Number Two things. Number one, what happens when you have a friend or somebody you're trying to share the gospel with and you're on mission with, and that person is just not receiving it, not, not accepting it. They don't want to really listen to it. What do you do? Now, some of you in the room, you're probably a little more like me. You're like, on to the next. And some of you in the room, you're going, oh, but they got to know, right? And you just stick on them, and you're, and you're, you're filled with mercy, and I love you guys. But sometimes uh, you can get too stuck. And so here's the thing. He's basically saying this, guys. If they're not willing to receive it, they don't want to hear it, the harvest is too big for you to sit here with one. Move on. Go to the next neighbor. Does that mean we forget them and they don't matter? No. It means we, we pray to them, we entrust them to God, we shake off the dust of their house and go, hey, the dust that's on my feet that I got from you, I'm leaving at your house with you. But I'm going to move on because there's some other people who might need this, who might be sitting around waiting for this. You know what I'm talking about? And so we got to go. Ephesians 5.18 says, make good use of the time for the days are evil. In other words, guys, there are billions on this planet. We can't be wasting our time when people are going, I just don't want this. We go, great, I got to go, man. Now, I know for some of you that sounds heartless. And for some of you, when you see those other people sticking with it, they go, this seems like a waste of time. And you're both kinda, kind of right, but it's somewhere in the middle of going, listen, it, there's just too many people. we got to go. So if you've got someone in your life and you've been trying, if it's a family member, you're with them for life, so take a slow pace. If it's somebody on an airplane, you share everything right there because you're just never going to see them again. If it's a friend, you take a slow pace. But you got to know that there's times where you go, you know what? They don't really want this. I'm moving on and giving my time to somebody. Because you only got so many mornings to get coffee, so many lunches to get with somebody. And if they don't want it, move on. Move on, okay? Hey, but the other thing is this. Don't be an unworthy house. Welcome people. Care for people. Open up your home. Do you realize that it's your bank account, your home, and your fridge are the Lord's? It's just not, the church is not a group of people who just gather at the Lord's house. The church of people is a group of people who live in houses and welcome their neighbors. They welcome missionaries. They welcome pastors. They welcome uh, um, travelers. They welcome, they welcome uh, tourists. They welcome people in their homes. I just want to care for you and love you because I want this to be a place where we foster uh, a gospel and grace. Okay, you hear me? So start thinking, when you go to your fridge this next time and you're looking for that, you know, that LaCroix and that sandwich meat, you know, I'm just talking about what I'm looking forward to after this is all done, right? And you're like looking at it all, you go, man, this is also, how can I also steward this for the kingdom of God? How can this be a worthy house? Where that table is not just my family, I'm inviting other people's families and say, come sit. How many of you guys, when we had the, uh, the children's choir, you gone to children's choir, uh, how many of you were here? How many of you guys opened your home to those kiddos? Anybody? Absolutely transform your life and the blessing and peace that came from those kids landed on you. Amen? Right? Some of you guys did that and it was absolutely amazing. That was a, a, that was a, a perfect example of this. There's some people in this church who open up their homes to these kids. And every one of those people, I think, were more blessed than the kids were. Absolutely more blessed. All right, so what have we learned so far, guys? The 12 apostles are regular guys with an extraordinary, extraordinary teacher who's given them an extraordinary gift, just like us. You're wondering who God's calling? He's calling you. While the message of the gospel is first for the Jew, it is also for the whole world. It's, it's for our family, our friends, and our neighbors. So he's calling you, and he's calling you to those group of people. All right? Anybody ready to go? All right, anybody just born out their mind right now? And you're like, stop talking. Okay, great. We're getting there. Uh, point number three, the mission is a combination of proclaiming the gospel and producing the results of faith. Okay? That means some of us are going to have to confess where it's not, and let's just get about it together. Let's do it.
Number four, while this mission may make us miss out on our wants, God will provide for our needs. And number five, a worthy homes are those who open up to the gospel message and its messengers. Well, Lord, thank you for my friends and us gathering together today in this room. Uh, I do pray for them. You'd wake them up to this mission. I pray that, they, God, they wouldn't just be hearers of the word only, but they would be doers also. And Jesus says, we get ready to sing and worship you again. You're des- you deserve it all, Lord. This is all about you, making you much of your name. If there's people in this room, man, that they have not received your gospel call, God, I pray that they would hear right now that you're calling them. And if they would just say yes, they will be saved. They don't have to earn it. They don't have to work for it. I pray to God they would see that. God, I pray that through outposts and through the church of this community, there would be a subculture, a remnant of the church who would live in a worthy manner, who would follow you, who would stop sitting in the nest and would start trying to fly out there and share the gospel, proclaiming and producing. And may you be glorified as we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's stand. Let's sing to the Lord.